Hello, my fellow divers, and welcome back to another episode of Crime Dive, where we take a deep dive into crime. I'm your host, Lexi. Thank you so much for listening. If you're new, welcome to the water. We're so happy to have you. If you're returning, welcome back to the water. We missed you, and thank you for taking another deep dive into crime with us. Please be sure to check out our episode description and follow me on Instagram and TikTok, as well as using our support link to help us out over here at Crime Dive. We appreciate anything. I also have timestamps in the episode description to skip ahead to if you want to skip to certain parts as well as our trigger warning skip aheads. And that brings me to my next point. As you can see, given the title of this case, you may need those trigger warning skip aheads. Today, we're gonna be talking about the death of Bill Nelson and the way in which he was tragically and horrifically killed by his wife, Omaima Nelson. This case is honestly one of the most disturbing cases I've ever heard. I've never heard anything like this in my entire life, and I'm sure you all will be able to say the same. So I'm going to give a trigger warning over this entire case. I honestly don't think that you should listen to it at all if you have a weak stomach or if given the title, you're not comfortable with things that pertain to that. There's really not a whole lot of personal information on the two individuals that I'm going to be speaking about today. And I'm gonna explain a little bit more later of why I think that is and why it's a problem. But with that, we are going to go ahead and get started. So first, I'm going to be telling you all about Omaima Arie Nelson. She was born in 1968 in southern Egypt. She grew up in a very poor farming village in Egypt. and She had a very tough life. She lived in poverty with her two parents. Now, Omaima was close to her mother. They had a pretty normal relationship, but her father was very violent and he would get really angry and become abusive towards Omaima and her mother. One of the ways that Omaima's father exercised his male dominance in the house was by forcing Omaima to undergo a female circumcision when she was only seven years old. Now, this was done by women who lived in her village. And this is a custom practice done in some African countries. It's also called female genital mutilation or FGM. And it's seen as a sign of purity in certain African cultures. And it's pretty much done to control the sexual appetite of a woman at a very early age. As I said, Omaima was only seven. And it's said to ensure that women will be virgins until marriage and remain faithful to their husbands even after. But it really takes away a woman's ability to enjoy sex because the effects of the operation are so painful. It can also cause health issues later on in life if it's not corrected. And Omaima went through this procedure with no anesthesia and no sanitary instruments, which was actually normal for this culture. It's hard to think that someone so young went through something so painful and she had to deal with the effects of it for the rest of her life. I actually took a course on the subject in college and it's pretty graphic. Eventually, Omaima's parents divorced her mother just couldn't take the abuse anymore and she decided to take Omaima with her and they just got out of the house altogether. And they decided to move to Cairo, Egypt, which was a pretty poor area. Now, Cairo was known as the city of the dead because there were homes that were built around graves. It was a pretty interesting place to live. So in 1986, Omaima was 18 years old and she met an American oil worker named Roger Stainbrook. He was on business in Egypt. So Omaima 
Jemima met him, they started talking, and eventually they became involved in a relationship. But in the Egyptian culture, you don't just casually date. You have to marry someone if you're gonna be spending time with them and kissing them and hanging out with them. They don't do boyfriends. So her family pushed her into getting married. Her mother said, you have to get married. And Omaima agreed. She really saw her marrying an American as a way to get out of Egypt and live a better life. So she was all for it. So once Roger was done his business in Egypt, he moved back to Texas and he took Omaima with him. But this relationship didn't last very long at all. They really didn't know each other that well. Omaima got married to him because she just wanted a way out of poverty. So they divorced pretty shortly after arriving back in the States. But now Omaima is just alone as an 18 year old in a foreign country and she didn't speak English very well. So she really didn't know where to go next. But one thing she knew for sure was that she was not going back to Egypt and her life in poverty. At this point, she had gotten used to the American way of life. She didn't wanna go back. So in order to stay in America, Omaima decides to spend the next few years meeting men in bars and having them support her. She just had them pay her way so she wouldn't have to go back to her life of poverty. And she went in and out of relationships pretty quickly, but she had no problem finding a man. Omaima was attractive. She was exotic looking. She was young. She had a nice body. And this really caught people's attention. I mean, she had no problems hopping in and out of relationships. Eventually, Omaima moved to Costa Mesa, California, where she worked as a nanny and clean houses, as well as booked a few modeling gigs in order to support herself in between relationships. But in October of 1991, Omaima was 23 years old at this point, and she was at a bar getting a drink where she met 56-year-old Will William or Bill Nelson. And I will be referring to him as Bill for the remainder of the episode. So as I touched on in the beginning, again, I'll get into it more at the end. There's not a lot of information on Bill's background, a lot of specific information, but he was from Texas and he was described by people who knew him as being a larger than life personality. He had a really big presence. When he walked in the room, he caught your attention. He was loud, very outgoing, just very well liked by the people who knew him. Now, Bill, if he was anything, he was confident. I mean, you have to be very confident to walk around wearing red cowboy boots and big belt buckles. He was a proud Texan. He did not care what anybody said. He was gonna be him, he was gonna do him, and that was that. Now in the 80s, Bill worked as a pilot, but he was arrested for smuggling marijuana from Mexico back to the US in one of his planes. So he had to serve four years in prison for this crime. Once he got out, he worked at a mortgage company and he was doing pretty well money-wise. And eventually he started working a job programming computers. And at the time Bill met Omaima, he had five children and 17 grandchildren. So he was quite the family man. So jumping back to when Bill and Omaima met in October of 1991. So he walks in, he's there with his friends, hanging out. As I said, Bill, he's very vibrant, very captivating. People knew him, come right up to him. Omaima noticed him immediately. And while she's playing pool, she overheard a conversation he was having with another person at the bar. And she heard them talking about Bill's red Corvette, as well as land that he owned in Texas. Not rented, not leased, owned. So her ears immediately perk up. She's like, oh, he owns 
this Corvette. He owns this land. And she figured that this was the perfect candidate to be her next boyfriend to support her because he had a little bit of money. As I said, Bill was doing pretty well money-wise. I mean, he's a little bit older. He's had some time to build up some wealth, even though he went to prison for four years. He's pretty established by this point in life. So Omaima decides to strike up a conversation with him and they end up playing pool together and immediately struck up a bond. Of course, Omaima didn't care that he was more than 30 years older than her because she longed for the stability, security, and love that someone like Bill could provide her. I mean, he could take care of her. He was much older. He had the money. He had the establishment. He was perfect for this. And Omaima was perfect for Bill because Bill was pretty lonely and he wanted someone to love him. He wanted someone to need him. So they really were the perfect person for each other at the time and they fulfilled each other's needs. So they hit it off pretty instantly and they became obsessed with each other. And after only less than four weeks of being together, Bill decided that it was time for Omaima to meet his family. They decided to go on a road trip to Arkansas and Texas in order to make this happen. But while they were on the way there, they stopped in Phoenix, Arizona and decided to get married after less than a month of even knowing each other. So very quick marriage, a whirlwind romance. They didn't care. They were all for it. And that's what they decided to do. So now when Bill's going to Texas and Arkansas to have Omaima meet his family, it's no longer, this is my girlfriend. Now it's, this is my new 23 year old wife. So Bill and Omaima arrive in Texas and Bill's kids were not happy. They were like, "Mm -mm, what you doing, dad? They did not like this new relationship at all. They definitely felt that Omaima was just using their dad for his money, which was true. Not to mention the fact that some of Bill's kids were older than Omaima. I can't even imagine how weird that was for them. One of my parents came home with somebody that was my age or like a couple years older. I'd be like, "Uh uh-uh, no. We don't even need to be close in age at all. They need to be close to your age, not mine. So the family, they were not for it. They didn't like it at all, but they decided to give her a chance and they saw how happy she made their dad. And I'm sure that's all they really wanted anyway, was just for their dad to be happy. So after a couple weeks of being on the road, Bill and Omaima decide to return home to Costa Mesa. They're done visiting his family and it's time to return to their life in California. On November 28th, 1991, it's Thanksgiving day and Bill and Omaima were just living in Bill's apartment. They had had a nice dinner. Bill spoke to his daughter, Margaret, that day to tell her happy Thanksgiving. And he told her that things were going well. He and Omaima had had a nice dinner and they were just gonna finish the night out. Just a normal holiday. But this was the last time that Bill would ever speak to his daughter. And just three days later, on Sunday, December 1st, 1991, at 9 a.m., a man named Jose Esquivel was asleep in his bed when all of a sudden, he was awoken by somebody frantically knocking on his front door. So he looked out the window and he saw a red Corvette parked out front, just like Bill's. But he didn't recognize the car, so he didn't open the door, which is smart. But the knocking continued for a few more minutes. Jose was not answering the door. He said, no, I don't know whose car that is. I'm not opening the door. So the person that was knocking decided to leave. Eventually, they returned between 1 and 1.30 p.m. And Jose's door was open. I think he was taking the trash out And all of a sudden, the person that had been knocking on the door all those hours before just saw that his door was open and barged in. And Jose was just caught off guard saying, who are you? Who are you? But then he quickly recognizes that the person that just barged into his door that had been knocking on it all those hours before was 23-year-old Omaima Nelson. 
And Jose was like, oh, my mom, what are you doing here? And he realized that this was his girlfriend that he had dated for a little bit about a year ago, his ex-girlfriend. So Jose and Omaima had been in a previous relationship a year or so ago and they briefly dated. This was the first time he had seen her, was just a bit confused as to why she was just showing up at his door. And Omaima was crying and appeared to be injured. So Jose tells her to come inside. He sits her on the couch and asks her what happened to her. And Omaima tells him that her husband, Bill Nelson, tied her up beat her and raped her for days. She then told Jose that somehow one of her arms was able to break free from his ties and she grabbed a lamp and hit Bill in the head with it. And she hit him so hard that she killed him. Omaima then revealed the graphic detail that she had dismembered Bill's body and put the body parts in trash bags. So the reason why she was over Jose's house was because she needed his help disposing of Bill's body by using his truck to transport the trash bags. Jose's sitting there like, what the hell? And Omaima offers to pay him. She says, I'll pay you the $75,000 left in Bill's bank account, as well as two of Bill's motorcycles. And Jose agreed. So he asks Omaima to wait there in his apartment while he goes to get his truck. But Jose wasn't actually going to get his truck. He decided to run to the nearest payphone and call the police. And he told them everything that Omaima had just told him and led the police back to his home where Omaima was waiting for him. Police arrived and saw that she was crying and bruised all over her face, arms, and chest from an apparent attack, which seemed to corroborate her story of being attacked by Bill. So police asked Omaima to verify everything that she had just told Jose. So they said, what is this I hear about you killed your husband and dismembered his body? But Omaima denies all of this. She says, no, what are you talking about? I never said that. She even says that Bill was still alive and that he was just away on a business trip in Florida. So when the police ask if she can contact him and they can speak with him, she says she has no way of getting in touch with him. Him. At this point, police are starting to look at Omaima like, okay, something's not right here. They really weren't believing her because her story just changed in an instant. So police decide to go outside and check out Omaima's red or Bill's red Corvette parked in front of Jose's house to see if they can find any answers just from doing a cursory glance. And one of the officers notices a bag on the passenger seat. So he decides to take the bag out and open it up. And inside, he finds human organs. So by this point, they're like, okay, we need to take her down to the police department and question her to find out why the hell she has human organs inside of her car. So Omaima was taken to the Costa Mesa Police Department and questioned for three hours. And during this interrogation, she behaved very erratically. She was pacing around the room. She was rambling on and on, speaking in third person and still denying that Bill was dead or that she ever told Jose that she killed him. So all those graphic, crazy details that she just shared with Jose, she's now acting like that never happened. So when they asked her, why do you have a bag of human organs in your car? She told told them that Bill must have left them there because he had killed someone. She said that was his car. So you were just driving around in your husband's car with a bag of human organs and didn't think that was weird? Why didn't you call the police if that was what you suspected? And she tried to paint this picture that Bill was a dangerous man who had gone to prison and he wasn't a good guy, but 
Bill went to prison for drug smuggling. And although that isn't right, it's not a violent crime. So investigators continue to question Omaima Moore as to why she even brought this up. Why was she trying to paint the image that Bill was a dangerous man? She told them that Bill had raped multiple women, including her. So she decides to tell the story of how she was attacked that day by him. She claims that again, Bill tied her up. And while he was tying her up, he sat on her shoulder so she couldn't move. And Omaima said that she was struggling to breathe. And it was then after she was tied up that he began raping and beating her. But still, Omaima is denying that she ever told Jose that she killed and dismembered Bill. She says that she doesn't even believe he's dead and can't explain why she was at Jose's house in the first place. So police decided that they wanted to send her to a nearby hospital to have a rape kit performed. Since this was her story, they wanted to be able to corroborate it and document her injuries if this in fact was true. So Omaima was taken to the hospital and examined by a nurse and they found that she was not raped or sexually assaulted and her injuries were not from being attacked. Based on the nature of her injuries, they were from dismembering Bill's body. While police are questioning Omaima and having her taken to the hospital to corroborate her injuries, another group of officers are at Omaima and Bill's apartment to see what they can find there, any evidence that they can find to suggest that someone was killed. Investigators knocked on the door, but no one answered. So they felt like they had no choice but to break the front window to get inside. Once they were inside, they found that the apartment was very cluttered, but things appeared to be pretty normal at first glance. There were just a lot of computer boxes around because Bill worked as a computer programmer. As investigators searched more, they found spots of blood. They found a spot on a doorknob, on the wall, and on the carpet. So they're starting to get the vibe, okay, maybe something did happen here. And it was then that they found more trash bags full of body parts. And they found a pair of legs and both of the ankles on the dismembered body parts had bruising around them. And this indicates that whoever these body parts belonged to had been tied up while they were still alive. And this made police realize that maybe Bill was the person who was tied up instead of Omaima. They also found a broken lamp and an iron with blood on it in trash bags. Now, this next part is very, very graphic. I just want to warn you all now. So police searched the kitchen and they found a pair of hands in the frying pan and the hands had been cooked. Investigators believed this was done in order to cover the identity of the person that had been killed by essentially burning off their fingerprints so they couldn't be identified. Police then searched the freezer and they found a dismembered head at the back of the freezer. And they realized that the head had been fried in a deep fryer and was burned very, very badly. Police then searched the couple's bedroom and they found that the two bedposts were broken, which did in fact indicate that somebody had been tied up and that there was some sort of struggle. And the mattress and box spring were soaked in blood. A medical examiner was able to confirm that the dismembered body parts found in the home were that of Bill Nelson's. And Bill had been killed from blunt force trauma to the head and had over 25 injuries to his skull. The medical examiner was also able to determine that the cuts that Omaima made when dismembering Bill's body looked very professional. And it made investigators wonder if she had done this before because it looked like a very professional job. So they were worried that Bill may not be 
her first victim. The medical examiner then noticed that Bill's body parts weighed less than the info that was given on his driver's license, that the dimensions just weren't matching up. There were 180 pounds of his body missing. So investigators decided to speak to Omaima and Bill's neighbor to see if they had any information as to what transpired that weekend. And the neighbor revealed that the garbage disposal had been running all weekend, so much so that it was actually broken. So police concluded that Omaima was most likely trying to dispose of Bill's body parts through the garbage disposal, but it broke because she had done too much. And that's when she decided to go to Jose Esquivel and ask him him if he could help her because she didn't know what else to do. So, wow, they found some very, very, very graphic things in the apartment. I can't even begin to think of how those investigators felt having to find Bill like that. So jumping back to Omaima leaving the hospital and police are able to now determine that she hasn't been attacked and she hasn't been raped. They bring her back to the police station for more questioning. And by this point, the police interviewing Omaima, they now know what was found in her and Bill's apartment. So they confront her with it. They confront her with the fact that she's been lying to them this whole time and that they know it and it's time to come clean. And Omaima does just that. She admits that she killed Bill, but that she doesn't remember how she did it. She said that demons inside of her told her to do it. And she claimed that she hallucinated two women covered in blood, telling her that Bill must die. She also admitted to committing cannibalism. After Omaima confessed to the police, she asked to talk to a psychiatrist, but she was arrested and charged with murder and her bail was too high for her to pay, so she remained in custody. So as police are starting to build a case, they decide to dig into Omaima's past a little bit and they found that she had a history of using men for a place to stay and for money. She would go from one relationship to the next, as I said earlier, and whenever she was done with them, she would discard of them, but not before stealing their money or stealing their cars. Police also found that Omaima had a few petty thefts on her record, and one in particular was from back in 1989 when she was 20 years old. She had been busted for stealing from a department store, and two female security guards tried to search her to recover the things she had stolen before she left. But as Omaima was being searched, she began to attack both of these female security guards. She almost bit off the nipple of one of the security guards and she sexually assaulted the other by grabbing her private area and overpowered her. Omaima was then able to run away and escape, but it wasn't long before she was found, arrested and charged with shoplifting and battery. She was convicted of both the charges and sentenced to only a few months in jail. By 1990, Omaima was out of jail. She was living with another man named Robert Hansen and she had lived with him right before she met Bill. Once he heard about this case, he decided to come forward to police and share some information about his relationship with Omaima. And he told investigators that their relationship was very much based on sex in exchange for money. So it was kind of like a sugar daddy relationship. Robert told them about a particular sexual encounter that took a very scary turn that resulted in him completely cutting ties with Omaima. So one night, 
She had asked Robert for some money, but Robert wanted a sexual favor in return. So before he handed over the money, he wanted her to do something for him. And Omaima agreed and asked if she could tie Robert up. And he allows her to, thinking that this is just some sort of sexual game. But as soon as Robert was tied up, Omaima pulled out a gun and threatened to kill him if he didn't give her the money. Robert was somehow able to break free from the ties that Omaima had around his wrists and he wrestled the gun from her and told her to get out. Because Robert came forward with this story, Omaima was also charged with assault for this. This account from Robert really gave police an idea as to what Omaima's motive for killing Bill may have been and that it was most likely money. Maybe he denied her money that she wanted and she got angry and decided to kill him. So for all we know, Robert really could have been Omaima's first victim had he not been able to break free from the ties. So the trial started on December 2nd, 1992, exactly a year and a day after Bill was killed. At this point, Omaima was 24 years old. Even though she confessed, you do still have to have a trial in order to determine whether or not she's gonna get an insanity plea or she's going to be convicted of first degree or second degree murder. First, we're gonna start with the defense. They admitted that Omaima did kill Bill. That wasn't the question, but they claimed she did it because he was abusing her and that she did it in self-defense. Jose Esquivel decided to take the stand to corroborate this claim. Recall, Omaima showed up to his house injured, so he believed her story. And Jose claimed that Omaima told him that she had been abused during her entire marriage to Bill. A very, very short marriage, might I add. The defense also claimed that she had been beaten and molested multiple times as a child by family members, and that Omaima created an alternate reality to cope with the abuse and trauma that she faced as a child, that she was continuing to face with Bill. The defense called forensic psychologist, Dr. Nancy Kayser Boyd to the stand in order to testify. She had actually evaluated Omaima and found that she was deeply disturbed and diagnosed her with PTSD. She came forward and said that during her time evaluating Omaima, she found out that she would fantasize that ancient Egyptians were living through her and told her to murder Bill and dismember his body. Said that doing this will ensure that the person doesn't make it to the afterlife. And Omaima felt compelled held to do this because of the ancient Egyptians telling her to. The defense went on to argue that Bill demanded oral sex from Omaima on a daily basis. He would oftentimes call her names and just engage in very degrading behavior that Omaima just couldn't take anymore and she had snapped. In a bold move, the defense decided to call Omaima to the stand to testify on her behalf, which is again, very rare and very, very bold because you just never know what the person's gonna get up there and say. So Omaima told the jury that her and Bill's short marriage was filled with sexual assault and abuse. She claimed that during their road trip to see Bill's family, that he threatened to kill her and bury her in the desert. And she also testified that on the night of Bill's murder, she had been forced into a very violent sexual situation with him and became very scared and grabbed a bedside lamp and struck him in the head with it. When the lamp broke, she used an iron and hit him over the head with it multiple times. There was a broken lamp found in their apartment as well as an iron with spots of blood on it. As Omaima was hitting Bill with the iron, the handle breaks. So she begins stabbing him with a pair of scissors that were found nearby. But she claims that she has no memory 
of dismembering him. Now, this contradicts her initial confession. If you recall, when she first confessed to killing Bill, she said that she didn't remember how she killed him, that she only remembered dismembering him. But now she only remembers how she killed him and doesn't remember how she dismembered him. Again, changing her story, going back and forth. She's recounted everything. So sounds like she remembers everything, but she's pretending that she doesn't in certain parts of the investigation. Now the prosecution takes the stand and Omaima stays there and she's cross-examined by the prosecution. This is the part where people really, you probably shouldn't testify on your own behalf because once you're cross-examined by the prosecution and they begin questioning you, they can tear your ass apart. Prosecution decides to play a video showing Omaima and Bill on the way to visit his family. And this painted a very different picture of what she testified about Bill saying he was going to bury her in the desert in the video, they were laughing, enjoying each other's company. I'm not sure if it was before or after they got married, but they were just very blissful. They had a new relationship and seemed to be very in love. And this was not indicative of someone whose life had just been threatened by this man. He seemed smitten with her and she seemed smitten with him. So prosecution felt that this was just another lie that Omaima had come up with to make Bill look like the aggressor and justify why she killed him. Prosecution then calls Robert Hansen to the stand to tell his story about how Omaima had assaulted him and held him at gunpoint in exchange for money. So the prosecution decides to come up with the theory that what happened to Bill was most likely what would have happened to Robert Hansen had he not been able to break free. They claimed that Omaima tied Bill up as part of a consensual sexual encounter, but that she demanded money from him. And when he wouldn't give it to her, Omaima got angry and decided to kill him. They felt like Omaima was very strategic in the way she was telling her stories and they felt like she was trying to build an insanity plea by making up these delusions and hallucinations that she was having. She was said by the psychologist to be disturbed and have PTSD, but I don't know if she was having delusions or hallucinations. I don't think we can really prove that or corroborate that, not really sure. The prosecution just wasn't buying it. Both sides rested on December 17th, 1992, and the jury went out for deliberation. And after a week of deliberating, they found Omaima guilty of second degree murder. And she wasn't convicted of first degree murder because there was no proof of premeditation. Not saying she didn't premeditate it, but they just couldn't prove it. Omaima was also found guilty of assault with a deadly weapon for threatening Robert Hansen. She was sentenced to 25 years to life in prison. She apologized for dismembering Bill, but said she felt like if she didn't kill him, he would have killed her. So she's still standing by the self-defense story. Omaima was sent to serve her sentence at the Central California Women's Facility. While she was there, she continued her ways of meeting and marrying older men. Omaima got married while she was in prison to an elderly man who used a wheelchair to get around. And this was very shortly after being sent to prison. And he would visit her for conjugal visits. And if you don't know what conjugal visits are, those are visits that prisoners can have with their spouse or significant other to have sexual encounters. I personally don't think she should have been allowed this privilege given the nature of her crime, but I don't know what the rule system was over there at Central California Women Facility. Eventually, Omaima's husband ended up passing away and he left behind a good amount of money for her. 
Omaima was up for parole in 2006, but was denied because the parole board said she was unpredictable and a serious threat to public safety. She was up for parole again in 2011, but denied for a second time because she still hadn't taken responsibility for the murder. So I'm assuming she was still saying that she just had to do it or else he would have killed her first. She was still following the self-defense story. And Omaima will be up for parole a third time in 2026, and she will be 58 years old. I would say for this, justice has been served. She got the sentence. She got the time. Who knows if she's ever going to get out? I'm surprised they even gave her parole. I don't know. Mm, I think that's a bad call. So I was mentioning earlier about how it was very hard to find a lot of personal information on Omaima and specifically Bill. I want to talk about Bill for a second. I've realized it's because people oftentimes get caught up in these sensational murder cases that they forget that there was a real person whose life was taken. I found it very frustrating that it was hard to find information on Bill because of how salacious the details surrounding his death were. It seems like the media leaves out details about their personal lives and really only focuses on what happened in his death. And although those details are important as well, I feel that personal details are just as important, if not more. Painting the picture of who the person was. And I found that to be very lacking in this case. And I hated that I couldn't find more information on them because I like to talk about the person from the way they lived just as much as I feel like it's important to cover what happened to them and how horrible it was as well as justice being served in the end. So I think oftentimes we do forget to humanize the person who faced the tragic death that everybody's so caught up in. We can't forget that a real life was lost. Bill was not just a person who this happened to. He had a family, he had kids, and he had grandchildren. Somebody lost a friend, a father, and a grandfather. And we can't forget that here. We can't forget that this is not just some crazy wild case. I mean, there's more to it. But with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap up this episode. I really just wanted to make that point and make it clear. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope to see you in the water soon.